0: Are you located at
1: so right now i'm in kansas fort riley kansas with my husband but we're only here for another month and then we're moving to idaho where
0: are you originally from
1: originally from hawaii um, but i moved to washington state when i was about six years old so i've been there most of my life and then moved to kansas when i got married last year last march
2: congratulations thank you so like I was uh I came across your story um like I think a week or 2 weeks ago and it was the one where um you said like 95% of people in wheelchairs can walk. I had no idea. Like I thought if you're in a wheelchair you can't walk.
1: Yeah, not many people know that statistic and I didn't know it until I became disabled. Um but it actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it where um like if you think about the number of wheelchair users there are and the numbers of people that are fully paralyzed, it makes sense that there'd be more reasons that you would need to use a wheelchair than just full paralysis. So, you know, fatigue, managing pain levels, balance, coordination, mobility issues, all of those things could mean that someone needs to use a wheelchair. And I do um, have a neurological disability that causes paralysis at times. But most of the time, I use a wheelchair. It's to manage my other symptoms.
2: How did. So I've seen on your page that, you know, you just became uh, disabled. Like, what? Like, how did that happen? Like, is it just something that was already in your body or something?
1: No, we actually don't know what caused it. I have a functional neurological disorder, which is basically. It basically means that there's nothing structurally wrong with my brain or nervous system. The disability lies in the signaling. Um, so my brain isn't communicating correctly with my nervous system. And that's what's causing the symptoms, but we don't know why it's signaling incorrectly. So it's very under researched. And yes, it did happen pretty suddenly. I had unexplained chronic pain, um, all over my body for about a year. No one could figure out what was going on. And then about Two weeks after our honeymoon, we were driving back from the date night. It was just a totally normal day. And I lost the use of my hands from the wrist down. We went to ER. They couldn't find anything. They sent me home with my hands still paralyzed. And the week after that, it was just one thing after another. Um, A total whirlwind, totally crazy. And I've been disabled ever since.
0: So what was your life like prior? Were you pretty active?
1: Very active. Yes, I was training horses. I was walking five miles a day. I was taking extra classes in school just for fun. Um, I loved being outside, going on solo hikes and drives. And so it was definitely a very huge change. I remember this one particular time when we still didn't know what was going on and I couldn't Walk to the end of our driveway and I was on the phone with my husband and I was like, my life is over. Like I can't even walk to the end of our driveway. I think I don't think I'm going to be able to walk normally ever again. And so now every time I'm able to do something that I didn't think I'd be able to do, my husband's always like, remember that driveway? Like look how far you've come. But yeah, it's been totally different. It's crazy how fast things can change even in just a year or in my case even in just a week
0: so are they having you do a lot of like physical therapy
1: i did do physical therapy there's for for treatment with this because we don't really know what's causing it it's kind of throwing a bunch of pain at the wall and seeing what sticks so most of the treatments are some form of cognitive or physical therapy so i've done both um And for some people, they work really well and they go into full remission. And for other people like me, it doesn't seem to have too much effect so far. So I'm not giving up hope that there's some treatment or form of therapy that will help me in the future. But as of right now, nothing seems to really be working well. So
0: So do you have like a community of people that have the similar kind of ailment as you?
1: I do. And that was a huge thing. When I first got sick, I didn't even know what this disease was when they told me. I thought the way my neurologist explained it to me, uh, it sounded very dismissive. It sounded like he was saying my body was just stressed. And that was what was causing all these crazy symptoms and me losing my ability to walk and speak and see and move my hands normally, all of these things. And so I was pretty upset and I basically just dismissed the diagnosis and was like, I'm not stressed, that's not what's causing this. I have a real disease and he doesn't think I do. So it took months of research on my own to realize that I do actually have a real disease and the diagnosis, even though he explained it very poorly and with kind of a lot of misinformation involved, um, that it is a real disability and what's actually going on in my body. So after I found out those things, I tried to find other people that were struggling with similar things. So I joined this Facebook group, which ended up being very depressing because everyone who had also been diagnosed with this basically believed that their life was over too, which just confirmed my kind of depressive spiral at the time. So that's when I actually started the account. And that was one of the reasons I started it was because I wanted to build a community that showed that your life didn't end when you got that diagnosis. That it could still be wonderful and full cool and great, and um, just kind of building a positive framework around this and hope for the future. So I think the biggest community that I have right now is online. Um, I think the account has like eighty-three thousand followers now, and. I, I really love the community that I have there. And then in my personal life, my husband and family are so supportive. And our church community and Bible study has just been amazing. Even at my school, they've been just great this, through this whole thing. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, you Your see husband it as, as
0: one of those things where obviously doctors are experts, but they're also humans too. And so yes, they are flawed. And, you know, it's just like there's no – absolute for anything in life like for somebody to say that yes, this is your definitely. your sentence or whatever is everybody has a different outcome
1: yes yes for sure so it's it's important to it's not so much i found that for me the hardest thing isn't always the disability itself or the symptoms or the pain it's my mindset and there are certain depressive cycles that you can get on that where you're having to carry the burden of your mindset and your depression and negativity on top of the physical things that are going on. And so for me, it's been a constant battle, not just to um, continue to navigate the physical symptoms, but to continue to take that grief to the Lord and to rely on his strength, because there is no way I could do this on my own. So.
0: Yeah. Cause I think that um, willpower and, Being positive can go a long way for a lot of things. I think if you're negative and have a lot of stress, that can bring issues on your body also. And so, like, if you're surrounded by people that have a good mindset and you have a good mindset, your body might, uh, in turn, start healing itself. Because just think about how, like, they do placebos. They'll give somebody a, (laughs) a controlled drug, and then they'll give somebody a placebo. And the people that have think they're taking something, doing well. yeah. So I think the power of the mind is, is really, is really well. It's a good thing.
2: That's amazing that you have.
1: I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say that it's very common with disabilities like mine where stress definitely will increase your symptoms and it is kind of crazy how you can actually see, um, your mindset come out in physical ways. Yeah. It's
2: a, it's amazing that you have such a support, such a strong support system. Like not just online, but in person also. And you know, yes, that I've, I've seen a lot of stuff you've posted about your husband and stuff. And I'm gonna say that guy, that guy's 100 man. He's he's a good dude.
1: Oh yes, he is amazing, and I'm so thankful for him and for everyone else who's supportive. I know that um, that's something a lot of people don't have, and. Um, having a chronic illness can be extremely isolating, especially if you don't have ways or access to be able to go out and socialize and be with people like you would if you were healthy. And so I'm I'm just beyond thankful for those things, for sure.
0: So how has your um, mindset changed from start to now?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think. The biggest thing has been realizing that I'm not in control and that strength is strength and courage is different than what I used to think it was. So I kind of had this subconscious mindset that being strong or being brave was a feeling. Like you feel strong, you feel brave. And so you're kind of able to um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and power your way through. And as I've lost control of things that I used to think I had control over, you know, I used to level in like being able to do all of these things and having this huge capacity and all of this energy. And now I don't have those things anymore. And so I've realized that I'm not in control. And that's actually a good thing because um, God is sovereign and he's in control and my own strength has run out. So, I'm able to dig into his strength in a way that I never could have before when I had my own two legs to stand on.
0: Do you feel that you have more empathy for people now since you're going through something?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that um, the way our culture looks at disability or chronic illness, or even just suffering in general, grief, pain, whatever, whatever that form of suffering is, we feel very uncomfortable um in the presence of pain that we're not able to fix. And so our natural impulse is to want to say, oh, I know exactly how you feel, even if we've never actually experienced anything similar to that. Or, you know, I experienced something like this in the past or try to offer advice on how to fix it, but not all things can be fixed. And so I think that I've learned empathy in a different way in that I've learned more how to just sit with people in their pain and their suffering. Um, point them to hope but not in like a you know pat them on the head give some kind of proverbial advice to them but to give them hope knowing that it's okay to be in that hard place it's okay to grieve um, and to look for something bigger than yourself to fasten your grasp on and also um, not to be as awkward around pain and suffering. That's something that we can feel really awkward around because we just feel so helpless and we don't know what to do or what to say. And so coming to a better understanding of, you, you know, you don't need to be awkward around someone in a wheelchair. Like they're just like you and knowing how to interact with people who have all of these different stories and these different pains in the past, but realizing that we all need the same things we all need the same hope and strength, and so being able to come alongside people like that has been a huge blessing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a good outlook, because, like I said, I think a lot of people just think that a disability is one thing and not another. Like, um, yeah, it's very case by case.
2: Like, like physical it might not be emotionally like mentally it just yeah it one, can be it just yeah it
0: can be like anything like in life it's uh very broad spectrum and to have yes. like these yeah, glasses that think that this person just because they're in a wheelchair is disabled and somebody that has a cane or something is not as level same disabled as other mm-hmm. disabled as the other person is kind of ignorant to think but I think it's kind of way we've yeah. been we've yeah. been conditioned. So people like you can shine a light on what different faces of disability are for everybody else to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I get a lot of comments or messages from people who are disabled themselves and they feel that that pressure of comparison where they'll reach out and they begin the conversation by saying, so I'm not as sick as you are, but I'm struggling in this way. And it's like, no, you don't have. To compare like there are you know you see a tiny snippet of my life online and you know there I use a wheelchair every day and I use mobility aid every day but there are moments where I don't need either of those things and so you get a tiny snippet of someone's life online and you compare it to your hardest or your best moments but that's not how anyone's life really is um and you can't no matter how hard you try you can't authentically show all of your life over the internet to someone. And so that level of comparison and that that pressure that we put in ourselves to um, to validate our own suffering isn't actually how suffering works because pain is just pain and the hope is the same either way. And so it's I think it's important that that stigma is removed around suffering, around disability, whether it's mental or physical or grief, whatever that is. Um, because that's really the only way that we're able to reach out for help. And that's the only way we're able to help others.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we as people need to have a reset where, especially like on online where people are just nasty. Um, I mm-hmm. think it needs to be more of just kindness because, like you said, you only see a snippet of somebody's life. You don't know yes. what is a highlight reel or what they're actually going through. And for people to say, yes, you know, definitely. nasty things to people and it's just like, I always go back to why are they saying that? Is, is something wrong with them? Or Generally, you don't want to put somebody down if you're doing well in
2: life. You so, want to see them go up. Right.
0: So generally, people like that, they, they have pain, so they want to make, inflict pain on somebody else. Because I did see, yeah. like, he just yeah. sent me your profile, I you. and I saw some of the comments that you had put in the, in the title or in, on the video itself. And it's just like, why would somebody mm-hmm. say something like that? Somebody yeah. you don't even know. Let alone somebody you.
1: Yeah, them. yeah, right. Yes, I get a lot of interesting comments, and I put the most mild ones on my videos because um, I don't want to trigger anyone else. Or, but yeah, it's very interesting what people feel the liberty to say to someone that they don't even know, um, or to speak into a life that they have no experience with. But I've noticed even with mental illness you know there's a lot of stigma surrounding mental illness as well and sometimes I'll have people reach out and say I relate to this video and I know that you're physically disabled and I'm only mentally disabled but I resonate so much with this and honestly I've struggled with mental illness long before I struggled with physical disability and sometimes it's just as debilitating if not more for me so um, again it's like it's that that pressure of comparison we try to compare pain but that's that's not what's supposed to be compared.
0: What were some of the steps you took for your mental health?
1: Um, I have thought a lot of counseling. I God put this wonderful lady in my life who was able to give me some real biblical counseling after um, trying a lot of different therapists that really weren't helping me that much. And my husband has helped me a lot. Um, it's honestly, it's something I still struggle with. But I'm learning how to navigate um, and find ways to, to stop the spiral before it happens and to kind of recognize, OK, I'm, I'm starting to spiral to that depressive state. And it's not always something that you can just stop. You know, it's sometimes it's chemical or emotional and it's not like it's wrong to feel those things. Um, but I don't want to reach a point of despair again like i have in the past and so a lot of my hardest battles have been lying flat on my back you know in bed in the dark and just crying out to the lord and um just taking that grief to him and that's honestly the only way that i've made it this far but there are things that I do every day where um, I don't know if you've seen like on the stories on Instagram, but I do something called smile from a seat, which is basically um, like a question box every day where I ask people to submit something that they're thankful for that made them smile. And so a lot of people have said that trying to search for those positives It has been really helpful to them. And I found that's helpful for me too because our brain is constantly trying to confirm the things that we believe. And so if I go about my life thinking, this is awful and I'm in pain all the time and is this even worth it? Then my brain will be looking for the negative things in my life to constantly confirm that belief, which is what caused me to spiral so badly in the past. And so by trying to flip that mindset around and look for the positive things and to reaffirm those, my brain has started highlighting things to be thankful for more and more often, um, which has been really helpful as well.
0: Did you ever question
1: your faith? Um, I never questioned my faith. I have had periods of struggle where I've questioned, um, God's love for me or if how God looked at me, where I felt like I was being punished and, um, that that was extremely difficult, and I think that sometimes in dark moments, that's a very easy place to reach, and so it's always gone back to reminding myself that I'm not the one who's earned God's love. There's nothing I could do to earn God's love um, or salvation or anything good in my life at all, and so because it's all by God's grace, I've been given those things, and through what Christ has done for me in that he took the punishment that I deserve for all the evil I've done so that God can look with me with favor. Um, that means that that favor can't waver by anything that I've done or haven't done. It's always there, it's always steadfast on me. And so, no matter what I'm going through in my life, God will always look at me with love. And so, reminding myself of that, you know, I feel broken all the time, or I feel weak, or I feel helpless. And in myself, I am this things. But in God, I am loved and I'm whole. And um, one day, all of this pain will be redeemed and turned to glory.
0: So do you look at it basically like God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle?
1: No, God definitely gives me things I can't handle. But he doesn't give me anything he can't handle. Um, And so when I reached the end of my own strength, which ended a long time ago, that means that I have nothing else to do but to fall on God's strength. And because of my suffering, I've been able to um, have access to God's strength in a way that I never could have if I hadn't reached the end of my own strength. Does that make sense?
0: So where do you think you would be at right now if you didn't have faith?
1: Honestly, I don't think I would still be alive. And I, I don't say that in a trite way. Um, but just knowing my own weakness and futility and ways I've struggled in the past where I've reached what I've thought to be the end, um, even with my faith, it's it's always been my faith that's pulled me out of that. God's faithfulness to me that's pulled me out of that. So I, I don't even think I would be here. But if I was still here, um, I think I would be much more bitter and broken than I am now because I would constantly be trying to harden myself to my own suffering because, um, life is too hard to take straight. So, um, in trying to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I think I would just end up receding into myself more and more because that's my natural tendency to kind of isolate and shut myself off from what's hard.
0: So have you always been religious?
1: raised in a religious home Um, I wasn't born a Christian I don't think anyone's born a Christian but I became a Christian at a very young age and there have been periods of struggle where I've um, doubted and warned and grown but I've never I don't remember a time where I didn't believe in God
0: Yeah I know a lot of people that they uh, they find a lot of comfort in being in God or with God Mm-hmm. And so, like, I yeah. think if it's one of those things that helps people out, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, it's not doing detriment to anybody. So, I mean, if it's mm-hmm. if it's bringing you strength, that's a good thing, right?
1: I'm yeah, seeing. definitely.
0: So, as far as your community goes, um, what are some of the things, like, people have told you that your videos and, and messages have brought them?
1: Um, for a lot of people, it's been confidence. And so, like when I first got a mobility aid, especially as a young person, it was very um, awkward and I felt very insecure using it in public. And people do stare and they make rude comments for asking invasive questions. And so it's hard enough to kind of navigate that insecurity on your own in the open and then even harder to navigate other people's perception of that. And so... One thing that I've really advocated for is trying to help people to be confident with their mobility aids because it can kind of feel like like when you have a normal insecurity, it's something that you can try to hide from people. But with a disability, it feels like your insecurity is just out in the open and it's the first thing everyone sees. And so I've really advocated and tried to and push for people being confident with the mobility aids and knowing that they can be beautiful and stylish and poised even in a wheelchair or using a cane or walker or whatever that aid is. And so the comments that I get most often in ways that I've helped people has been in growing in that confidence and those messages always make me really excited where it's like someone took out their cane for the first time and it went really well and they were able to advocate for themselves and They had a great time and were able to enjoy it so much more because this came, helped them to manage their symptoms. And so I love getting comments like that. Um, I do get like self-advocacy comments where people will say, you know, I went to a doctor and he was really dismissive of my symptoms and I used your techniques to advocate for myself and now I'm getting the testing that I need, things like that. But definitely confidence is the one I get the most.
0: Now, are there any type of um, people outside the U.S. that are doing things that they can't do here for your situation?
1: Um, Yes, there are actually. So England and the U.K. has the most centers that I'm aware of for functional neurological disorder. And most of the advocacy for FND takes place overseas. And so I've had people reach out and say, you're the only person in the U.S. I know of that's actually advocating for people with this disability. And I've heard of some clinics that have opened up or started to open up in the United States, one in California and one, I think, in Massachusetts. But in the very early beginning stages, it would be awesome to get into one of those centers sometime in the future. But I'm really thankful that research is expanding because it's definitely something that's been lacking in the U.S.
2: Do you ever see yourself going overseas in one of those those, um, centers?
1: Yes. I think, I think that'd be really cool. Um, I probably try the one in California first. Mm -hmm. That one looks like it's setting up to be a really good program. And I've heard a few success stories that make me excited about it. So, I mean, I'm thinking maybe even sometime next year, if that's possible, but, um, if not, I would totally consider one overseas for sure.
0: Do you think our like, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like our healthcare system uh, is holding back a lot of people from being healed from some of the ailments that they have.
1: I think one of the, the struggles with the healthcare system is that a lot of people. So what typically ends up happening is someone gets sick, right? Or starts having weird symptoms. They don't have immediate access to healthcare because healthcare is expensive. So they, wait for their symptoms to get worse and worse and worse, hoping that they go away. And then eventually it's emergency level pain or mobility issues or whatever happens, like when my hands became paralyzed and they are rushed to ER. But because it's been a chronic condition and it's not life threatening, ER can't do anything for them. So it sends them home. And then that vicious cycle repeats so that's one of the issues is people aren't able to get in early enough. And I'm not saying that's the healthcare problem. I think that there's a lot of changes in the entire system that would need to take place to get people access to that healthcare. But um, that is definitely one thing that's stopping people from getting the treatment they need. And another thing is when they do go in, um, doctors can be very dismissive, especially to women, but both to men and women, when testing, like initial testing, comes back clear. And so for me, like they ran an initial CT scan and an EKG and they're like, okay, that looks fine. So you're fine. But I was paralyzed from the waist down at the time and had no ability to speak or see or feel properly. So obviously my body was not fine, but because of those superficial tests, they dismissed the rest of my symptoms. And so I think we need more medical doctors that are humble enough to say, I don't know what's going on, but we're going to help you, and who actually, who truly believe their patients and are willing to dig beyond those initial tests or to refer them to someone who is willing to dig beyond those initial tests to get them the help they need. And so it's a lot easier for a patient to get treatment if a doctor is kind of able to walk with them through that whole process and is willing to admit what they don't know and dig into that research. And sadly, that's been really lacking. So we need more more doctors who believe the extent of the symptoms that the patient is experiencing and more doctors who are willing to dig into that treatment process with them.
2: Yeah, it seems like more doctors nowadays, like the younger ones and stuff like that, are more about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, are about pumping the numbers up so they can get more money from the drug companies and all that stuff instead of listening to the patient. Because I know when I went, I don't know, this was I, was really, mm-hmm. I was like 350 pounds like three years ago or something like that, and like mm-hmm. my hand would go numb a little bit. And I'm like, so I went to like four places for it. And like, nobody would listen to me. I went to two places for it, sorry. And then I told my brother about it finally. And he was like, go see my doctor and tell him exactly what's going on. And, you know, after like two months that he called me back, you know, they called me and told me what was wrong. And then they were like, you need to start exercising. You're becoming diabetic. Mm. But nobody told me oh, that initially, right. you know, it's like crazy.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that is crazy. And I've seen that issue a lot, too, where doctors will if, um, will relate whatever symptoms are happening to weight just right off the bat uh, without digging into anything deeper where it's like, you know, every patient should receive the same level of testing. You can't just superficially, um, you know, look at a BMI chart or um, whatever you see right off the bat and and decide from your gut, like what you think is wrong.
2: Yeah, because according to the BMI chart, the rock would be super obese, right? Because he's like 300 right. pounds of pure muscle. Like, that, thing's, yes. that thing is so outdated.
1: <laughs> it is very outdated, yeah.
0: So do you think that maybe by the time doctors get out of school, what they've learned is antiquated?
1: Um, not necessarily. I think that... A lot of, I can't speak for other disabilities. Um, I know that for mine, a lot of the information that's taught in medical school, it comes from theories taught way back when by like Sigmund Freud and theories surrounding hysteria. And so for a long time, my disability was under-researched because doctors would write it off along with other diseases such as epilepsy and insomnia, um, even infertility as hysteria. Um, Because they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then as medical research progressed, they realized, oh, there's actually these things in the body that are causing these symptoms. So we'll take that off the hysteria list. But for a long time, my disability has been categorized as hysteria, where a lot of doctors still kind of have this mindset where, okay, something traumatic happened in your past that's now presenting itself as physical symptoms. But we don't actually have conclusive evidence that there's any causation between past traumatic events and symptoms of functional neurological disorder. And so there needs to be put in way more research, but it's hard because it's not, because it's not caused by structural damage. A lot of doctors are more quick to dismiss it because they can't see anything physically wrong. It's all in the signaling between the brain and nervous system.
0: Yeah. Cause I look at it like uh, I do it for a living and Sometimes mm-hmm. somebody will bring me something or tell me they're having an issue with their their PC or whatever their software and it won't be doing when I'm looking at it. But I know they're not crazy because obviously they wouldn't right. bring it to me if they weren't having an issue. But it's just not firing that the same, you know, errors that they're normally seeing when I'm looking at it. Yeah. Like same thing like with mechanic.
2: Yeah. One hundred percent. You
0: know, so right. like you gotta look at it that way too. I don't think people are just going to the doctor to go to the doctor. I don't think that's a fun trip so
1: no it's definitely yeah it's definitely not and it's actually funny that you bring up the it because that's a very common example that's given to illustrate what fnd is or uh, doctors or neurologists will explain if they have a more thorough understanding of fnd they'll kind of compare it to a hardware versus a software issue mm-hmm. so there's nothing wrong with your hardware but there's something that's malfunctioning in the software itself
2: it's like what tony just said like you don't want to go to the doctor for no reason or just go there for yes. the hell of it because you know it gets expensive. Oh, it's a waste. Yeah, it's it your really time, does. time. And you know, if you don't have insurance, and that's to talk about what you were saying earlier. People have to wait till the last minute because if some people don't have insurance and if they actually went, they would probably owe so much money on to the ER. You know.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I've had I think two ambulance rides now, and there was like three minutes up the street, and they were both fifteen hundred dollars. So it gets expensive fast, and I don't think many people have the time, energy, or desire to fake a disability, um, especially thinking that there's very little societal or medicinal payoff for that. So,
0: <laughs> Raul mentioned something, I guess, when one of your post people do question legitimacy of your disability. Oh, yeah.
1: Yes, yes, they definitely do. And I think a lot of disabilities are called into question, um, but it's kind of... One of those things where you advocate for yourself as much as you can and you share as much truth and information as you can. But at the end of the day, like I don't need to prove that I'm disabled to anyone in order to use the aids or the resources that I need to to just survive or be safe or independent. And so a lot of those comments used to really bother me and sometimes they do still get to me. But it's, I've gotten a lot better at just kind of letting it slide and. Like, you know, I don't I don't have to prove that I'm disabled to you. And there's some people who aren't willing to understand that and they just kind of close their eyes to it. And there's nothing that you could really do to convince them otherwise.
0: Like, what do they want you to look like? (laughs) Like the movies,
1: maybe? I, I don't know. Yes, I think, there, I mean, there is probably some sort of media portrayal that influences what we expect disability or sickness to look like. Or we look at, you know, ourselves when we become sick and like you get the cold or the flu and you're stuck in bed and your nose is all runny and you're all bedraggled for a few days and then you get back to work. But if your entire life you're ill, um, you're not going to want to live like that. And so, you know, I'm in pain every single second of day and night, but most people can't tell. And when my pain levels are extremely high, I have to stay at home and no one sees me. And so when they do see me out and about, it's like my pain levels are manageable right now and I'm able to hide them. And this is what I look like when I'm doing that. And then when I get home, I'm going to have to rest and recover because I can take the mask off and it's been taking a lot of energy to wear around you.
0: So how many people in the world would you say are diagnosed with what you have?
1: I've heard the numbers are like one in 100,000. I am not sure. It's the second most common reason people will go to a neurologist after a migraine. And it's about as prevalent as diseases like multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's disease um, causes very similar symptoms. But um yeah, I'd have to look and see if those numbers have been updated. But that's the last I've heard.
0: And so is there a certain age that people start developing this or is it just abroad anytime in your lifetime you can get it?
1: Um, it it's definitely something you could get anytime. I've heard more cases where it's younger people, like even teenagers or young adults. Um, I think it's more rare in children and more rare in older people, but I've definitely heard stories just surpassing the whole age range. So, And it's most common in women as well, but I think that men are often undiagnosed or underdiagnosed when it comes to this.
0: And so what are some of the symptoms?
1: So the way my symptoms started out, and I still struggle with, all of these to some extent. Um, I lost the use of my hands. I had debilitating chronic pain. Then a week later, I lost the use of my legs from the waist down. Um, the ability to speak. I uh, started having hallucinations and seizures where I would stop breathing or be completely unresponsive. I lost the sense of taste and the sense of touch. started having vision problems, convulsions, muscle spasms, mobility issues, tics, um, and so all of those are symptoms of F and D. It causes a lot of other things, but those are the major ones. And um, paralysis. So now I, I still struggle with all of the things. I have seizures every day and um, paralysis before and after. A lot of times I'll wake up from a seizure and not be able to speak, and I'll have to kind of retrain myself to speak. So I'll have to start making the sounds of the alphabet, and I'll have a stutter for a while and then slowly kind of retrain that back into how my brain is thinking um, and so I've gotten faster at retraining myself how to do things when I lose that um, but it's it hasn't necessarily gotten better than it was from the beginning I'm just better at navigating it so those are the most common ones there's typically two categories of FND like in the charts where there's the um like the mobile side and then there's seizures, but almost all of the cases that I know of people that have F&D have both sides, and that's what I have.
0: Now, with seizures, it's not always as violent as people think, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. Um, there's, I think there's three different types of seizures, and I have all three. So what most people picture when they picture seizures are like full-on body convulsions and Those are like the grand mal kinds of seizures, but you could also have absent seizures where you might not even know that someone's having a seizure, but their eyes are zoned out and they're unresponsive. Um, And I have those as well. And then there's also focal seizures where it's just one part of your body that's tremoring or you look unconscious. So sometimes during a seizure, I'll almost kind of go between all of those where I might start out convulsing really heavily. And then as the seizure slows down, I'm still unresponsive. I'm still having a seizure, but it might look to someone like I'm just unconscious or I'm sleeping. And so you kind of like my husband has been really good at reading when a seizure is coming on or when a seizure is happening. But if someone was unaware, they might not always know that I'm having a seizure.
0: How long have you and your husband been together?
1: Um, We met five years ago now, just over five years ago, and we've been dating since February 2020, I think, and we got married March of last year. So we've been married about a year and a half.
0: Yeah, that's a real testament to both of you guys to be able to um, still be together with um, all these like trials and tribulations you're going through.
1: It's been a wild ride, but you know those vows sickness and health. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people,
0: yeah, a lot of people don't believe in that. They're quick to run when something happens, you know? So, yeah.
1: yeah and, yeah, I think that's really sad. But it's, yeah, it's definitely been a wild ride. And it's funny because I became disabled about a month after we got married, and then four months after we got married. He had to leave for an 11 month deployment. So it was a lot of things very back to back. So I'm thankful that part is over. <laughs> this is the first time in our relationship because we've been long distance basically the entire time um, and most of our marriage. So this is the first time since we've known each other that we've actually been together without a deadline in sight for when one of us has to leave.
0: Yeah, because I think if we all or anybody that's married and they stick together long enough, they're going to deal with some type of, uh issues like either yes, you know definitely. marital problems or like we get old and when you get old you start turning back into mm-hmm. a baby again and so it's just yeah. like either you can deal with it or you can run and I think it, it tells a lot about yeah. somebody's character if they stick around.
1: You know? Definitely. Yeah he's a great guy.
0: Now do you think that um like the people that are online that are trolling you or whatever, like, do you think that they feel like they're winning when they say this hateful shit to you?
1: I don't know if they think that I highly doubt they actually feel like they're winning. Maybe they think that they're going to feel that way, but I just can't imagine that, you know, you would get that much satisfaction from trolling some random girl on the internet. But um, I'm not sure. I think that sometimes people try to find, you know, those who are faking disabilities or, you know, I hear stories all the time of like friends of mine or people that I know who are disabled, who've been stopped using the, uh, the handicap or disabled parking sticker um, when they park their car and someone will accuse them of faking it and taking it from someone who really needs it. And, but they're the person that really needs it. And so sometimes I think people want to be like the hero or try to call someone out I'm not sure and they think you know I can I can call this person out for for faking it but what they're really doing is they're adding to whatever problem they think they might be helping because they're just adding to the stigma that disability only looks a certain way
2: you should tell them to come uh, um, you should tell them to come hang out with you for a week and then then say is it then say you're faking it
0: (laughs) yeah I don't know. It is is crazy. Yeah, I wonder about the people that do fake it, though. Like, obviously, there's something wrong with them and they're looking for something. So I guess they kind of do have a disability.
1: True. Like, faking a disability is extremely rare. But if someone is doing that for attention, then that's something that also needs to be looked into because that's not something a healthy person would do.
0: Yeah. I don't know, yeah. like uh, I don't know the human brain is weird, man, like we do a lot of weird stuff, you know, like we I said it, it's yeah. uh and it's there's not a lot of you know understanding of it. it's a lot of uh guessing and you know, nothing is absolute.
1: yeah yeah, I can definitely attest to that fact. our brains are weird and very misunderstood.
0: So, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I have uh three questions I'd like to ask. One question yeah, is There's this whole movement where they want to give people flowers and give people admiration while they're alive and they can appreciate it. So, who in your life mm-hmm. would you like to give flowers to?
1: Oh, I love that. Um honestly, the person I appreciate the most is my husband. Um, I don't know if you would think it weird if I gave him flowers, but that's definitely who I appreciate most in my life. Um, Yeah, I think that's who I'd pick.
0: That's a good one. And the other two questions are, what's your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Um, My advice for people, I think would be... You're not as strong as you think you are, and that's okay, because there's going to come a point in your life where you realize that, and you realize that you don't have all the strength that you used to or that you thought you did, and it feels like the world has turned upside down and the rug has been pulled out from under your feet, and you have nowhere to go. Um, and so my biggest advice in that moment is to run to the Lord and for His strength. But also, um, do you know that your life isn't over in that moment because it will feel like it is. And I'm so glad that I didn't give up um, and that God helped me fast in those moments where I really did think it was over because my life is so much more full and beautiful now, even with this disability, than I used to think it ever could be.
0: Wow, that's, that's beautiful. And what uh, what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world?
1: Um, I want to live my whole life in a way that points um, to what the Lord has done for me. I want people to see my joy um, and and ask why I'm still happy, and so that I can tell them. And I think that if I could. Like, you know, we talk all the time about wanting to change the world and, you know, I think, I think that's great. But if I could, if I could change one person's world for the better and, and point them to that same hope and joy that I have, then my whole life would be worth it.
0: That's good. Got one more question. So like, what would you say to somebody that at least on the surface, it looks like they're able-bodied, but they're not living up to their full potential?
1: That's a good question so when you say looks like they're able-bodied are you meaning that they're not or that they are healthy no they, they are healthy like as
0: blood. far as we can tell okay. there's no ailments going on with them but they're just not yeah they're not because like you know it's very rare for us to be born a human in the first place it's it's a a lot of stuff had to happen for us to even be here <laughs> yes for,
1: sure.
0: for us some of us to like take life for granted like recently mm-hmm. we live in memphis so in the last week we've had a lady that was kidnapped and killed. We've had this is like made national news. We had a guy doing on a shooting spree, he killed like four people and injured like three. Um so to me, like everybody's like, Man, Memphis is so bad. Like, what's going on with Memphis? And I don't think that. I think there's a lot of positive, there's a lot of good happening here. But obviously the bad's gonna be highlighted. I in turn Bye. look at that as that just shows us how precious life is. We should do the most with this time we're here. Like, so that's what I'm like, like, what advice would you have for somebody that isn't living up to their full potential, even though they're granted life every single day they get up?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's kind of funny because I think the answer is paradoxical in a way. Like I posted a reel today where I found this old video of myself from two years ago where I was on one of my daily five-mile walks and I'm dancing and singing. Um, And I looked at that video and I was like, wow, that's so weird. Like I could actually do that back then. And then I looked at the date and it was March 20th, 2021. And I became disabled March 20th, 2022. So it was exactly one year to the day before I became disabled. And looking back at that video, I'm like, wow, she had no idea what was coming and you know she like I was embarrassed when that video was taken because I thought I just looked so silly and dumb kind of doing that and um you know I wasn't thinking about anything serious I was just living my life and doing my thing and um I realized now how much I took for granted then You know, just having a body that worked and that could do things and that could dance in embarrassing ways. And so I think the paradox part of the answer is that, in a way, you never really know what you're taking for granted until it's taken from you. And so there's no way that I could appreciate being able to do things like that, being perfectly healthy in the same way that I can now, being sick. And so that's like the hard part of the answer, right? Because we don't know, like it's hard to appreciate, it's not impossible to appreciate what we have fully um, because we don't know what it's like to lose that. And so I think what I would say to someone who is struggling, you know, with that, with that purpose and finding that drive in their life is to find something bigger than themselves to live for Um, If you just are living for yourself and, you know, you're trying to reach that full potential all on your own, whatever that looks like for you, then I think you're always going to kind of come up grasping for straws and you're going to feel like your life is empty because you're the end all and you weren't actually made to be the end all. And so I believe that the purpose that every person has been given that's greater than themselves is to... um, to point to the Lord and and what He's done for them, what He's done in their life, and to point others to Him. But in, in also just finding ways to serve and to um, use what you've been given, not just as like in a trivial way, but almost like you're a steward of what's been given to you. And you need to figure out how to use it the best way you can to reap the most benefit. Um, And I think that's something anyone can do, whether you're healthy or whether you're sick or disabled, that's something that I still strive to do. It's like, look at what you've been given. Now, how can you use that for something bigger than you?
0: Mm. Yeah, because I saw this one guy said something online one day. He said, uh, we're all going to have a day where we're going to be sad. So like you're, we're Mm -hmm. all going to lose someone we love or we're all going to get sick or something. So up until that point, Mm -hmm. you just got to live your life like it's the best day that you have. Mm -hmm. And it's like, instead of just always like doom and gloom and all this other stuff that some of us do, it's like, just look for the positive things in life. Because, I mean, you can always find something Mm -hmm. negative in this life. You just have to find something like um, to give you a reason to be happy, you know. Right. And I think positivity goes a long way because I mean, if you surround yourself with people that are negative or you consume a lot of negative stuff, you're going to start thinking that way. Um,
1: Oh yes, definitely.
0: But yeah, I think, I think your outlook is very beautiful and um, I'm glad he found you online and you were able to share your story with us. And like you said, all it does is Uh, take his one because I remember seeing this thing too. It says there's this whole thing where it's like 7 billion people in this world and there's a lot of issues going on and, that one person is like, well I'm just one person," says 7 billion people. So if everybody has mm-hmm. a mentality that they're nothing and they can't accomplish anything, nothing's ever going to get accomplished.
2: Yeah. Right. And I think yeah, most
0: exactly. her, uh humans are inherently good. And so I think more people with positive outlooks need to be preaching and and speaking their word to people and and then we'll change this uh, the the loudness of the negative people. Yeah, drown them think out. That
1: we need to be speaking, yeah, more truth and hope into the world for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh so where can everybody find you at?
1: Yeah. So I'm my biggest account is on Instagram. So I'm at the dot and girl and spelled with me. So you can find me on there. And I reply to every message. I'd love for people to follow me and join the community there. So that'd be great.
0: And I appreciate you answering his DM. Because, like I said, I didn't think about this when I first started telling him to find people, but uh, we've had some women on here that have pretty big following. And they're like, yeah, we got a lot of creepy guys sending us like
2: dick <laughs> yeah. pics and
0: stuff like that. So, and they generally don't yes, even open up. I do up not reply to
1: creepy DMs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, no. But your DM wasn't creepy,
1: creepy so you're good.
0: He is creepy, but that message wasn't. No, creepy. no. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But yeah. Yeah,
1: no, I so appreciate you guys having me on. I have so, I have one thank more
2: you. I have one more question. Yeah. Um thanks. so when does anybody ever question like to you like, well, if your God loved you so much, why do he make you disabled? Does anybody ever say that to you?
1: Yes, actually, um one person in particular, um, who he didn't believe in God and we ended up having this totally unexpected conversation. I'd never met him before. And I was sitting on a bench cause I couldn't walk and he sat down next to me and we just started talking. And, um, he, well, he began by saying, cause I was talking about God and he said, well, you haven't experienced anything difficult in your life. And if you had, then you probably wouldn't believe in God anymore. And I was like, no, interesting that you would say that. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm sitting on the bench right now because I can't walk. And, you know, I started kind of sharing a little bit about what's been happening this last year and the things I've been struggling with. And then if that was when he kind of flipped tactics and he was like, wow, like if God really loved you, why would he allow that to happen to you? And that's always like a huge question, I think, when people see pain or when they experience pain is, you know, if God is real, why would he allow this? And the truth is, we, our hearts cry out, this is wrong when something like that happens, because that's not the way it was meant to be. And we're totally right to say that, like, it is wrong. We're not supposed to experience this pain and suffering. And um, I believe the Bible teaches that when God created everything, he created it good and there was no pain or suffering or evil and man rebelled against God. And um, basically the world is broken because sin has entered it and evil has entered it. And our suffering isn't a result of God punishing us for our sins. It's a result of the world being a broken place. And the hope in that is that God hates that brokenness and that pain as much as we do more than we do and that's why jesus came to die he took all of that brokenness and all of that pain and all of our evil and the things that we've done against god and he took it upon himself as a perfect person a fully man fully god and he died under the weight of that and because he took all of that onto himself and bore the punishment for those evil things we can look forward in our pain and suffering to a day where all of that evil will be done away with. And, um, and God will conquer it and vanquish it completely. And so my question isn't so much, you know, if God really loved me, why would he allow this to happen? It's more look at, you know, the brokenness of this world and the brokenness in my heart and <laughs> like if I am so broken, how could God love me so much to give me that hope that one day this brokenness will be redeemed? And the truth is that he has given me that hope. And so I can rejoice in that knowing that he hates this more than even more than I do, and that one day it will end. And I'm I'm very excited for that day.
0: You asked her question. <laughs> no, no, I'm just,
2: I'm just absorbing it all, man. That, wow. I never even thought about the, what you just said, like the way you said it too. That's just really deep and so true.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you. Think so. It's, it's definitely the only thing that has given me hope many times.
2: Man. Yeah. I'm really glad you came on today. Thank you so much.
0: When are you going to start doing motivational speaking?
2: Yeah, for real. That's a great question too, Tony.
1: <laughs> that would be really cool. I I would love to do that. I actually love public speaking and writing. So be a dream someday.
0: <laughs> Maybe you could set her up with Damien. Maybe Damien can get her in contact with somebody.
2: Oh, yeah, true. I will do that today.
0: All right. I appreciate you. you. I hope That'd you have awesome. a, a good rest of the weekend.
1: <laughs> Thank you. You guys as well. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
2: Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.